So this is cool. This is awesome. If you're uh, joining us online, uh, everybody's like in their chairs, like their uh, picnic chairs or whatever they are, lawn chairs. Uh, we're going to do a fire drill and uh, go in the aisle, wherever there's an aisle. If there is a case of fire, just get under the roof leak and you'll be fine. It's raining. It's the safest place. Pull that out. Which, by the way, we're finally almost to the point of going to fix that. But uh, that's been a fun ride. Hey, this is great picnic inside, hanging out. Um, it just is one of those moments where you go, yeah, we don't need much. We hardly need anything to praise the Lord, just a heart that loves Him. And uh, this is just, I don't know, this is one of those moments where you just kind of like, I'm, yeah, I want to remember this one like a snapshot. This is great. Um, ushers, ushers, you have the day off. You're not having to tell people where to sit. Isn't that beautiful? I, mean, I know some of you are tearing up, and it's just, you're crying. It's so great. Um, so we're going to be in seven weeks on this theme of um, just one more. Uh, here for going into August. Um, and just one more comes from John 12. And that last moment after three years of Jesus's ministry, public ministry, it's winding down and we get this last moment of Jesus where he's preaching and he's done. You think he's done. And John's kind of giving this editorial thing. And all of a sudden, Jesus just, you, you, you see this. He's shouting in this crowded temple on the week of the Passover, and he's shouting to them the good news, shouting and calling people to believe him, just as if it's, it's just one more. And for these next few weeks, we're going to talk about this, this passion of Christ that he has for just one more person, and that his passion is our passion. His heart's our heart. And um, we're going to talk about just some of the pieces of that that are God's heart as he's moving towards those who still don't know him. And, uh, and we're just going to talk about each one, a different theme each week. And, and today, it, uh, the, the verse that um, I think uh, resonates throughout the Bible, but um, Peter actually, let me just pull it up here. Peter actually says it so clearly. He says it in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. He says, God is patient, slow to anger, long-suffering, forbearing. He's patient because he doesn't want anyone to perish, right? It reads, God is patient. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And as we think about just one more, I think there's this idea that God is patient. He's long-suffering. He's, he's willing to move through the course of a life. And I think sometimes we have the urgency and, and we, we fail to forget, no, it's going to take time. Sometimes it takes a lot of time. And we have this urgency piece to balance with the fact that God is patient and God is wanting to have everyone come and he'll wait. And he'll take moments and he'll take snapshots. And often it's us over time. And so rather than preaching a lot about how it takes time when we're talking about reaching into someone's life, um, I asked Greg McCauley. He's an elder here at our church. Everybody say hi to Greg. So this is also a special week for Greg. <laughs> Actually, Joe Berider and him are both uh, turning 60 this week sometime, right? 
So I don't know if Joe is here. He may be gone or something like that, summer vacation, stuff like that. But if you see Joe, give him a hassle. If you see Greg, you can hassle him as well and say congratulations or whatever. But um, I got my golden Buckeye card this week. There you go. There you go. I knew there was a glow about you. Yeah, free things. Um, so Greg, a couple, I don't know, what, two, six months ago, four yeah, months ago? February. February. Shared with the elders. We were just, um, we had our elder meeting, and he, I don't know how it came about, but um, Greg ended up telling his, this story about how his dad, this journey of his dad, with his dad, and, and how his dad over years, um, just this whole conversation, the spiritual conversations, I want to ruin it. And he got done with the story, and the elders, as a group, were all like, after about, I don't know, it was 30 minutes, 35, 40 minutes, something like that, we said, the church needs to hear this story. Um, and so that comes out of that. So I'm going to sit down, and Greg, why don't you uh, just tell the story of uh, your journey with your dad? Um, you can stand I, up if you uh, want. Well, or sit down. I'm probably better sitting. Um, you, you, yeah, why am I on the shorter chair? <laughs> um, so I'll try not to be 30 or 35 minutes. Yeah, whatever. But, uh, That's good. I'll try to condense it. Uh, so I am, I, I'll begin with by saying I am one of the elders. But this is, yeah, and I've been, this is my 12th year. Uh, yeah, you've been on. You're going to term out. I am at the end of the year. Um, we provide counseling for all <laughs> elders who turn out. But this is my first time speaking, um, first time ever in a church speaking. And wouldn't you know, it'd be like a service like this. Or, yeah. <laughs> like kind of unusual. Yeah, this is unusual for me. So um, I, I'm, I'm okay with praying. I'm okay with when I was showering, given a lot of announcements, usually bad ones. <laughs> I got known for that. Um, <laughs> But, and, but then the other elder board, the other elders, I mean, they set the bar so high. I mean, you got Norm Pond, and you got Mike Stark, and Brian Hogan, and Jamie, and Todd Gilberth when he was here. Man, I'm like, man, I'll stay in my lane, you know. <laughs> I'll pray. <laughs> um, but Scott asked me to, to share this story, and uh, I hope I can share it well. Um, it is a story about my family, my dad, and particularly my dad and I. So a little background. I was born in 1961, so yeah, that makes me six years old. Uh, on Tuesday, by the way. I am the youngest of seven kids. I have four brothers and two sisters. And uh, we were a typical lower, middle class, small town Ohio family. And growing up, my dad worked many jobs, uh, many two or three at a time, just to make ends meet. And uh, he, he did everything from pottery to bricklaying to um, picking apples to door-to-door -door salesman. I can't imagine my dad was a door-to-door -door salesman. But, um, but by the time I came along, my dad had settled into being a truck driver. And uh, he had somehow bought his own truck and was a long hauler. So a um, little bit going to get my mother, however, um, was a stay-at-home mom. And that was a blessing because mom was a Christian. And she raised us all in church. 
she taught us right from wrong and taught us about faith and prayer and the Bible. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to say all of her kids know Christ and are Christ followers. And that's a, that's a testament to her. Um, my dad, however, was not a Christian, uh, never professed to be one, and uh, never attended church. Um, but he, was, he did teach me two things. One was how to be a provider, and he taught me about commitment. Uh, he often said a job worth doing is worth doing right. And if you start something, you finish it. You don't quit. Um, the early years, my, my brothers and sisters would tell you that he was a strict disciplinarian. By the time my next oldest brother and I came along, he had settled into this uh, truck driving job where he basically became an absentee father. Um, and that, he, he worked all the time, uh, 52 weeks a year, never took vacation. We never took vacation. The only vacation I can remember growing up was one that my aunt and uncle took me with my cousin to Florida when I was about 13. Um, but my dad would leave Sunday night or early Monday morning, and he'd come home sometime on Friday. And then weekends were spent either catching up on sleep or working on his truck. Um, so, and then he would just do that all over again. Um, so my whole childhood, my relationship was with my father was basically no relationship. Um, he was never around. He was never there for my sports activities, my football games, baseball games, school activities, very rarely for birthdays. Um, and barely talked to him. Um, he, you know, let alone he didn't show any love or affection or understanding. Um, but fortunately, I go back to my mom, she was just the opposite. Uh, she gave the, the encouragement, the love, the understanding. And my, brother, and my older brothers and sisters, they, my oldest brother's 13 years older than me, uh, and then it goes down every, about every two years, and they were my support system. Um, so fast forward to 1979, I'm graduating high school uh, with, with honors, top 10 in my class, and my friends are asking, where are you going to go to college? I said, I'm not going to go to college. And they're like, what? You're not going to go? Well, you have to understand, none of my brothers and sisters went to college or graduated college. And, and that's okay. They, they, all, they all turned out fine. Um, but that was something my dad did not promote. He did not, he, wasn't, he wasn't, didn't endorse it, and he wasn't, certainly wasn't going to pay for it. Um, so I went to work. Uh, so I got a job as a, a brick hacker. I worked at a brick manufacturer. If anybody knows what a hacker is, it's, it's tough work. Um, but that job did two things. One, it helped me save money because I worked afternoon shift and I didn't have time to spend any money. 
Uh, ask Lana about that. She, <laughs> we day started dating about that time. A lot of cheap dates, I tell you. <laughs> um, yeah. And, so, and then the other thing was, I realized I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. And so the idea of college came back, and, and I, I entertained that thought for the next, over that year and a half I worked there. And so I enrolled in college in 1981. I went to, uh, two, I, I entered in the pharmacy program, which was two years of pre-pharmacy, three years of professional pharmacy school. Lana and I went to West Liberty my first two years in Wheeling, West Virginia. She was in elementary education. And my second year there, we got engaged. And we decided we would get married between my second and third year. And we did. We got married in the summer of 83. And the next week, we moved to Oklahoma, where I went to pharmacy school for the next three years. Um, and that's where my story really begins. Um, I was graduating in 1986, uh, in April of 86, and we were all packed up, moving back to Ohio. I had uh, taken a position, I had graduated from pharmacy school, I took a position with Rite Aid, guess where? Wadsworth, Ohio, and we moved here. We've been here ever since. But so we're, we're we're heading home. We have all our worldly possessions packed in about a six-foot U-Haul trailer, towing behind my prized 1973 Ford Maverick. <laughs> that had to stop about every hundred miles to clean the spark plugs. <laughs> um, but it was on that trip home, and out of the clear blue, Lana asked me, or, or said to me, Greg, you need to build a relationship with your dad. And immediately, I was on the defensive. And I, I'm like, why? Why should I? Why should I make the first move? He was never there. He, he never did this. He was... You know, I had all my excuses, all my reasons, all my justifications. Um, so she, she let me go on and on. And then there was a long pause, and Lana says, all those things might be true. But then she asked a three-word question that forever changed me and the trajectory of my relationship with my dad and my family's relationship with my dad. She said, Greg, who's the Christian? And it totally caught me off guard. I wasn't prepared for that. And I had no answer. And it blew all my justifications and reasons out, out of the water. See, my dad still didn't know the Lord. He never professed to. And so that was a 20-hour ride home. And Lana took advantage of a captive audience. <laughs> 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 so 
So she explained to me that my dad only knew what he was taught. And I thought back and I, I remember, yeah, my dad grew up on a farm and he was taught two things, hard work and commitment. But there were no expressions of love or appreciation or understanding, affection. And I thought back and I remember when my dad would greet my grandma, this is a son greeting his mother, and they shook hands. They never embraced. And I, I thought, you know, <laughs> wow, I've been blessed. And you're, I know what you're thinking, Greg, you have a smart wife. <laughs> you know, you're right. And if you've never met Lana, you really should. <sighs> Thanks, honey. Um, God changed my heart that day toward my dad. And first, I forgave him for everything. And I meant it. And I forgave him, and he never even asked. Um, but then I embarked on a journey of building a relationship with him. And the Holy Spirit impressed upon me that day that it was going to be a marathon, not a sprint. So the first time I saw Dad on arriving back in Ohio, I went up to him and I hugged him and I told him I loved him. And I meant it. And... Dad, at that time, was in his early 60s, about the same age as I am now. And he would retire shortly after that. And so he had more time, and I had more time to go visit him. And so we went as often as we could. He only lives an hour and a half from here. And uh, over the next 10 to 15 years, I just showed him the love of Christ and I hugged him and I loved him and I told him I loved him. And the first time I hugged my dad, he, <laughs> it was, he, had his, he had his arms down at his sides and he never even lifted them up to hug me back. And that was okay. And he, couldn't, and he was silent. But over time... He got to bear, he would raise his arms and hug me back. And over time, he told me he loved me too. Or, well, first he said, I'd say, I love you, and he'd say, likewise. <laughs> and then he got to where he would say, he loved me too. And then it got to be where he would come to me first and hug me and told me he loved me. And it was, it was over a pretty long period of time. But the best part was after about 15 years, I invited my mom and dad up to a drama that I was in at another church here. 
and I was portraying Jesus, and I asked him to come, and he did. And it was one of the first times he had ever been in a church. And I don't know if it was him seeing his son treated the way God saw his son, but something changed in my dad. And he realized he needed a savior, and he needed the same savior that his, his wife and his children knew for decades. And he accepted Jesus that night. And he became a, a changed man. And I'm glad my, my children, my grandchildren know the dad that I know now. And that's, that's their pappy. And he's a gentleman. And a few years later, my mom got sick. And we watched my dad care for her over the next several years before she passed away. And he treated her with such gentleness and kindness and mercy. And my brothers and my sisters kind of had a front, front seat to all this. And they kind of, over these, all these years, they saw, they saw me building a relationship with my dad. And they saw him accept Christ. And they realized, too, that they needed to build a relationship with him. And to their credit, each one of them in their own way, over time, built a relationship with my dad also. And they all have restored relationships with him now. He is 93 years old now. Be 94 in November, and he's a real blessing to our family. And I just want to end with this. My dad was in his 70s when he accepted Christ. And now he's, he's known Christ for 20 years now. Never thought he'd, he'd live that long. He, he says that about every day. Um, but if you have someone in your life that you've been praying for for a long time, maybe decades, maybe a brother, or maybe a mother, a father, a friend, don't give up. You never know what God's doing. And, that, and remember to ask yourself, who's the Christian? Um, so Jesus said in Matthew 13, he gave this parable, and he said a farmer went out to sow his crop, right, and sow seeds, and the seed landed on different soils, and goes on to talk about what each soil was and what happened to the seed. But it's interesting that one of the metaphors Jesus used to describe what sharing the good news about him and salvation by faith through his sacrifice is he used a farming metaphor. If you're a farmer, you're a gardener, you know it doesn't go quick. It takes time. Um, if you plant a garden, that can happen in the season. If you plant 
fruit trees that can take five years. If you plant trees that you want for a windscreen or you want you know, to, to just be big and beautiful, that can take 40 years. And I think there's something about the kingdom of heaven that God understands because he is patient. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to go into eternity without being with him, and he's willing to wait. And there's another metaphor that Jesus, or another story Jesus talked about um, in Mark chapter 12. Actually, Jesus is trying to get trapped um, by some Pharisees and teachers, and they were asking him all these questions, and then one came up and said, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, yeah, it's to love God, and the second is to love your neighbor. And this teacher said, you're right. It is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and strength. And Jesus looks at him and goes, you are not far from the kingdom. And far is distance. Distance from truth, distance from decision, distance in time. And this guy was really close. But some of us may be around people that are far. And God is patient. And I often wonder if we walk out of these doorways going, we've got to see the decision. We've got to get this. We've got to seal the deal. And God's like, no, I'm patient. I'm long-suffering. I can wait. I'm eternal. Time doesn't bother me. And I just want, there's a piece of this as we go and we say just one more to have a father's heart to, to understand that, okay, it's him, it's his timing, it's not ours. And it, it sometimes will take time, if not decades and decades. And what I want to do here, we talk often like, who's your three? Who are the three people? It's hard to say the masses and like, oh, let's reach the world, but we can reach three. So who are your three right now? And if you're a mom or a dad, I would imagine if your kids don't follow Jesus, your three are close to you. Uh, husband or a wife, um, right? You have those pieces or family members and cousins or friends. And you may have even your three are among there, but are your three outside of there as well? And, and coworkers and things like that. Um, I want you to keep that in mind because I'm going to ask Greg to pray. And we're just going to pray over all of us. Greg, I just want you to pray that. And for anyone here, you've been waiting decades, decades and decades for that moment. And we want to pray hope. We want to pray God's patience. And we want to pray for an act of God uh, to happen. And, uh, and maybe for a, a greater understanding of what does it mean to be the Christian um, in these contexts here. So um, you know, God knows, Greg, you pray, and we'll close this time here. Is it on? Okay. Lord, we... Uh... We just come before you with uh, humble hearts and gratitude for, Lord, what you've done in our lives. And, Lord, what you want to do in so many more. Lord, what you've done in my dad's heart over time is where 
a lot of people are. They have a lot of different backgrounds and they were taught a lot of different things and they're far from you and maybe you're working them towards you. And we don't know where they're at along that line. But Jesus, I pray for each of us that we would do our part. We would come in line with you and with the Spirit and what the Spirit is urging us and prompting us to do. Lord, I pray for each one and those three that we have. And maybe it's been years that we've been praying for them. But Lord, I pray that we would not grow weary in well-doing and in praying and in loving. For Lord, you love us with an unquenchable love, an unfailing and unending love. So Lord, I pray for perseverance that we would remember we're the ones that know you. We're the ones that have experienced your forgiveness and your grace and your love and your compassion. So Lord, I pray for each one that we would carry that to those around us. May we carry your light and your message of hope and salvation. And Lord, I pray that they would soon that many of our three would realize that there's a God in heaven that loves them and sent his son to die for them. So Lord, we just commit this to you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Greg. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. You could stay here. Um, I, this guy, imagine this heart as part of what leads this church uh, on the team at the highest level with the elders. Uh, highest level is the wrong word, but because it's more serving, but um, it's really good to have you on the team. Um, we're going to transition. Uh, Pastor Lynn, I need you to come up. You weren't planning this, but you'll be fine. Um, <laughs> So uh, this uh, coming weekend, our youth group is headed out to Oklahoma, and uh, we've been praying about this. We've had a lot of uh, fundraising and things like this. So Lynn, you got to just tell, this is added on, this is a freebie, oh. but you just got to tell the story of like the money and, the, and just <laughs> what just happened this past week. It's really cool. So just one more. Just one more. Just one more. Okay. You guys okay with one more God story? Yeah, I hope so, because this is, this is a good one. So. Um, when we did the budgeting for this trip, obviously it was way before now, um, before everything opened up through with COVID and transportation costs and stuff. So when uh, we originally quoted, it was $999. Um, the trip itself was going to cost uh, $1,297. So we were off about $300 per uh, team. So that may not look like a whole lot, but kind of do the percentage on that. Then on top of that, I always take as far as the leaders, we don't charge them anything. They're already given up the week. They're taking a vacation, everything else to come up and serve. So in turn, I try to cover as much of that cost as possible. So there's six of us going, so you do the math on that. Going in the last couple of weeks, I thought, wow, that's $14,000 difference. Okay, let that sink in, $14,000 difference, right? And uh, I don't budget that much. 
Um, I budget between six and eight thousand dollars for a mission trip, and that includes some of the things we do going into it. It has to do with some of the fundraisers. So I was like fourteen thousand. I'm not sure exactly what we're going to do with that, but uh, didn't stress on it. Let's just kind of see what happens. I didn't pass that on. We had talked as a um, as a group earlier when it was the $999 and I told him that was an estimate cost. But when I found out that there was that difference, I'm like, I, don't, I didn't feel like we should pass that on. For whatever reason, it was just kind of like, all right, we're just going to take it. If the budget takes the hit, the budget takes the hit. So I think it was on Wednesday morning. Um, and I don't have time to explain in real time some of the texts and phone calls that I got. Let's just do it this way. I'm in my office and I'm calculating. I'm going, all right, what is the final number? And it was over $14,000. And then all the teens fully funded. I don't know if you guys, you guys probably didn't hear that. All the teens were fully funded this week. Okay. So you guys can clap for that. Yeah. Not just fully funded, meaning that they, we raised what we were hoping to raise and they made the difference up, like fully funded. The only thing, and this has never, never happened, the only thing that these teens have paid out of pocket for this trip was $75. Okay, think about that, $75, and that was a deposit, so that had to be up front. Okay, that's never happened before. So I could have passed on probably a little bit more, but didn't feel that way. So I'm sitting in my office and I'm looking and I'm taking the 34 plus thousand dollars that we need. I deduct how much the teens had being fully funded. I deducted what the money was from last year when we were supposed to go that was canceled, as well as some other gifts. And there was a substantial gift. It was so funny. I got to tell this part. I forgot all about this. So I'm celebrating upstairs in the office. Right? He's like, Scott, like, you wouldn't believe this. Yeah, it's very similar to that because I already told everybody else. Scott comes out of his office. I go, you'll never believe this. So I talked about it. I go, we are fully funded and it's not going to be that much out of my budget and da-da-da-da-da. And Scott goes, that's awesome. He goes, even with the transportation cost. And I totally had forgot about that transportation cost. And I literally looked at him and I go, thanks a lot there, you know, for throwing a wet blanket around the fire. And, and I went downstairs in my office, still really excited because God's done all of this stuff. And I'm not kidding you. I'm down in my office and I get a text from somebody. So this is an awkward text. But did you know that there was a substantial gift that you should have received? Do you know about that gift? I did not know about the gift. The gift came in, and, and it was actually given to my budget, but I hadn't received the information on that. It was until I followed up with it. So when you took all of that money and deducted, and deducted that financial, that gift at the end, out of my budget, it came up to $508. <laughs> $508, yes. So it's awesome, 508 and that's not even the real number because we still have money coming in, um, which is awesome. So at the end of this thing, God's going to have funded the entire trip. So why? Why? Just one more. It's not just one more there, but it's also what he's doing on Kingdom On. And, and now the teens have heard this story. I was going to share it on Monday night at our meeting. That's okay. It's good. Well, let's all celebrate it. But why? 
What, what's God communicating to our team? What is he communicating to me? What, what does he want to do? I was telling him we were trying to figure out because of minivans. Minivans are really expensive. We couldn't get 15 passengers. They're all gone. I was trying to figure out how can we t- take five minivans, get it down to like three to save some money. We don't have to do that now. Why? Right? You guys get that? Like why? Why do we need five minivans for the week? The other thing, too, is, is that we, we always, like, on our mission trips, what I love to do, and normally we figure it into everyone's cost in and above, like Guatemala, we'll say 100 extra dollars, not that you have to have that 100, but then we take a gift to the different ministries that were there. They don't know this. We just go in. Uh, the teens usually pray about. We've got some things to consider, and the teens decide where that money needs to go. Since now that is fully funded... Guess what money I can pull out of my budget now as a gift to go to one of those organizations or ministries so that the teens can pray and on Friday we can go in and give them a check that they didn't know that was coming. As God has blessed us, we in turn can bless others. Why? Yeah, like Scott just said, just like Lou. How does that work? I had a conversation with another parent that was talking about how they, they, they called and they were just like, wow, how did this end up happening? We thought the teen was going to be this short. And they told the story about how they had given a significant gift here because of something that happened there. And in turn, now their kid is fully funded. Why? You see, like, guys, the stories on this thing that I get to be a part of is just, it's amazing. But why? Because God is interweaving. It's a mission trip with 21 of us plus six leaders that are going, 20, you know, 27 of us going to Oklahoma City. That seems to be the goal, and God's going, oh, that's not the goal. Like, it's not even the goal for you to go there and to serve for my kingdom impact. Like, that's, that's one little goal because I've got all of these other things that I'm weaving, right? Over time. Greg's story about his dad is a beautiful story that God was writing before Greg was even born. You, you know that? Like, think about that, that God is so big that through Greg's, inter- he didn't know Lana, you know, Lana's born, Greg's born, they don't know each other, they didn't even know they existed until, you know, a certain time. Like, you see that? Like, God is that big. And he wants to, yeah. So he's writing all of these stories, and if you guys gave to this, you're a part of the story. As he blesses you and you get to hear stories, you're a part of that story. As you've seen him move, you got to hear this story here today. Why? Maybe there's somebody sitting in here today that's going, man, I don't feel like God knows. Sure, that's great for Greg. Financially, I'm in a difficult spot. And this isn't a health wealth thing. Like, <laughs> sorry, I probably shouldn't have said that, but I just did. So everybody's going to see it if they, well, not everybody, whoever watches it online or whatever, but I'm not sitting there going, you give and God's going to give it back to you. Like he does, but it could look totally different. It could be a dad who doesn't know Jesus. It could be wicker furniture. It could be a fundraising that is fully funded. You see what I'm saying? Like that's what he does. So I think it's amazing. We're talking about a mission trip, but with Greg's story and the whole idea of just one more. Just one more, God, just one more story. 
God, just one more movement. God, one more blessing, one more gift, one more person. Right? Just one more. Because I believe God, he's up there going, oh, I got way more than one more. I got a boatload of one mores. A boatload of one mores. But he's also up there going, who's in? Who's in? Because he goes, if you're in, watch out. I don't know if you guys have watched The Chosen or not. Incredible scene with Peter. I don't know if you remember where Peter goes to Jesus and Matthew's being chosen. You guys remember that scene where he's sitting there and Matthew's kind of this, he's almost like this autistic type, you know, and Peter's like this, oh, you know, kind of thing. And Jesus calls Matthew to follow him. And Peter's like, Jesus, no, 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 no. He goes, no. And Jesus is like, do you remember when I called you? Remember when I called you? And he said, that was different. Peter says that was different. And Jesus looks at him and he goes, get used to different. So what does God have in store for the mission trip? I don't know, but it could be different. What do you have in store for your life? I don't know, but it could be way different than what you think. He's writing some incredible stories. What does he have for the church, Scott? Just one more. Just one more.